Hi everyone, it's Hannah and Jesse here again, and we're here speaking with Professor Luna Dolazal from the University of Exeter, and she's based at the Wellcome Centre for Cultures and Environments of Health. Um, she does some really exciting work on shame and medicine, and um, she's also one of the hosts of the conference. If you've been coming in person to Exeter, Luna and I would have been there to welcome you. And we're just here to sort of introduce Luna to you and to have a little chat about how she got into phenomenology. Um, yeah, Luna, um, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Nice to be here. Thank you. Great. Um, so yeah, we were just wondering really, you know, because um, we sort of rarely talk about how we get into academia and how we get into phenomenology, particularly as a discipline. How did you first get interested in, in that particular part of philosophy? Yeah, it's a good question. I did my undergraduate degree at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, and I was actually studying physics. I was studying for a BSc in physics, and um, at that time you had to also choose a minor, and I chose my minor in philosophy. Um, and I was just very lucky to be introduced to phenomenology in my undergraduate studies, primarily by the feminist um, phenomenologist Rosalind de Prose, who's written a couple of excellent books, um, Bodies of Women and Corporeal Generosity. And through the courses I took with her, I was introduced to Merleau-Ponty and Levinas and Sartre um, and, and Derrida and other continental philosophers. And I only realized years later that it was actually quite rare to be taught continental philosophy in an undergraduate um, philosophy program. There's very few English-speaking universities in the world that, that take continental philosophy very seriously. So I was really lucky to come into contact with Roz, um, and I ended up writing an undergraduate dissertation on Levinas and ethics. Um, and around the same time, um, I was doing lots of yoga and meditation, and I trained to be a, a yoga teacher. And when I went back to study a few years later, I was really interested in experience and the kind of knowledge you get from embodied experience and sort of experiential insights, which aren't often taken seriously in philosophy, especially analytic um, and more cognitive based philosophies. So that kind of led me to do my master's and my PhD in, in phenomenology and focusing on um, embodied phenomenology in particular. So yeah, it was, I was just very lucky to come into contact with Roz, who ended up being a mentor and friend as well. It does sound like an amazing course. It does it does seem like it's often just that one course that sparks an interest yeah. and leads us down a path. That's really cool. Yeah, and then it's um, phenomenology is often not not a course in and of itself. It's even just maybe like a weekly topic within a within a wider course. And it's yeah, it's not something which is kind of taught as a as a module on its own. So very lucky. Yeah, I feel very lucky. <laughs> So you spoke a little bit about doing yoga. Does that still inform the way that you approach doing phenomenology or is it kind of more something that led you to the academic work that you do right now? I think it still informs my interest in embodied approaches to philosophy and thinking about how experiential insights through the body are maybe where we should have the foundation of knowledge rather than you know, conceptual foundations for knowledge and truth. So yeah, I think so. I mean, I still practice a lot and I think it it helps me with the practice of philosophy in a kind of practical way um, to, to write and research and read and so on. It's nice to have the balance between doing something that's completely embodied and takes you out of your head and out of the kind of cognition um, with something that's very intellectually demanding and, and very much based on thinking and conceptualizing and so on. So it's nice to have those two as a kind of balance of practices in life. 
Yeah, absolutely. I definitely find myself kind of, I don't know, I, I've taken reading to the climbing wall and things previously because um, it's like reading a passage and then it kind of rings true because you're kind of living it and, and, and enacting the things that you've read on a theoretical level. So yeah, it's kind absolutely. of interesting when you hear about other phenomenologists doing, doing that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Husserl intended phenomenology to be a practice um, and a method and not just sitting around thinking. So I think it's really important for people working in phenomenology to be able to tune into their own lived experience and, and, and have that as a foundation from which they're theorizing about other people's lived experience or the structures of collective experience. Um, Hannah and I are wondering what, what that means to you and if there's any particular research that catches your interest along those lines, anything that you've read that you've kind of thought, yeah, that's really the direction of, of engaged phenomenology. Yeah, it's a good question. So for me, engaged phenomenology is a way of putting traditional philosophical phenomenology kind of to work um, in a way that will enrich and impact people who are living in the real world outside of the kind of narrow um, conversations that, and debates that we have in academic philosophy. Um, so it's, to me, it's similar to critical and feminist um, phenomenology in that it's concerned with social justice, um, it's concerned with listening um, to vulnerable and marginalized voices um, and it, you know, attempting to faithfully describe various structures of, of lived experience, but embedded within social political contexts and realities. And definitely one of the philosophers that's really inspired me in recent times is Lisa Gunther, um, a Canadian phenomenologist whose book um, about solitary confinement, um, it's called Solitary Confinement, Social Death and Its Afterlife. Uh, looks at the phenomenology of, of prison experience, particularly in solitary confinement, but it also arises from her work as a prison activist in the prison reform movement in the States and Canada. And I just find her work as like an active, engaged activist philosopher really inspiring, both as a, both her theoretical work and her, her work as an individual. So I think that there's a lot of scope for people working in phenomenology to to be engaged with issues of, around social justice um, and activism um, when, when thinking about you know, the voices that, that aren't often articulated, um, more marginalized or disadvantaged or vulnerable voices. So yeah, Lisa Gunther, her work's amazing. It's a great recommendation. It is, it is really interesting. So, I mean, you, you talked about the political side and um, political activism there. So is, is that where you see phenomenologists pushing the field in the future? Or how do you think it's going to be applied in future roles? And what role, if any, do you think public engagement will then play in that role? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's definitely scope for phenomenology to kind of inform activism um, in terms of being able to articulate the experience of vulnerable individuals, as I was saying, who might not have the means or the social capital or be in the right position to have their voices heard. So, and I think Lisa's work on solitary confinement is precisely that, like yeah. really concretely illustrating what it's like to be in solitary confinement and how that disintegrates um, a subject, an individual and, and their subjectivity. Um, and obviously people in that position aren't in the position to articulate that to broader audiences. Um, so there's definitely potential. And I think with the COVID-19 crisis and recent events around Black Lives Matter, I feel like there's certainly scope for people working in critical or engaged or applied or feminist phenomenology to do important work 
to bring to light the kind of experiential structures that are fueling the injustices we're seeing around COVID and around racism and so on. So yeah, I think I think there's a lot a lot of work that can and should be done. And there's some exciting, I've read some really exciting um, blog posts and short pieces through the COVID and um, like the last few months during COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement. George Yancey, who's a phenomenologist at Emory University has been writing some really provocative and interesting pieces about race and racism and COVID. Um, uh, so there's, there's certainly work coming out um, and I think much more will be done in coming times. One last thing before we um, finish up. We were wondering whether um, there's any kind of artistic work like a painting or a song or something that, that helps you think about engagement or listening or empathy um, yeah. as related to phenomenology and um, if you could you know explain describe that a little bit um, as something that's quite personal yeah that's a really good question so one artistic work um, that came to mind immediately is I don't, I don't know if you guys know the performance artist Marina Abramovich and mm. um, she has an endurance performance art piece called the artist is present um, where in 2010 she sat in MoMA gallery in New York basically for three months solidly during their open hours, just sat and didn't move and people could sit in a chair facing her um, and, and she would just look at them and look in their eyes and kind of, that was it, that was the performance. Uh -huh. And it's a really simple idea, it sounds really mundane, but actually when you watch the footage of the experiences that people are having in, in this engagement with her, this kind of silent, just sitting across from this artist, um, it, it's super powerful and I think it, it illustrates a lot of the themes in phenomenology, especially around self-other relations like empathy, um, in, in intercorporeality, vulnerability, shame, you know, Sartre's idea of the look or the ethical encounter in Levinas, like being encountered, encountering someone's alterity in their, you know, the, the humanity that's in the face-to-face -face encounter. Um, so from a, from a phenomenological perspective, I remember when I saw the film about the performance, the film is called The Artist in Present, is Present, I was just really struck by how many of these kind of classical themes in phenomenology that describe intersubjectivity and intercorporeality are just so evident in the interactions she's having with people. And it's kind of like there these these aspects of sociality and embodied um, experience as a laid bare in this performance. So it's it's really interesting from a phenomenological perspective. And I'd recommend watching the film if you haven't already seen it. It's uh, definitely one to definitely one to look up, and maybe we can include a link somewhere along with the with this yeah. video, so people yeah. can go and go and watch it. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having yeah, this conversation, Luna. Thank you, Luna. Yeah. yeah.